Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 143. This episode is sponsored by the fine folks at Lee's Comics. From high atop the stately Lee's Comics mansion, we bring you the Lee's Comics Radio Hour with tonight's special guests, Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, Cerebus the Aardvark, and yours truly, Wally Fields. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store, based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics eBay store is still going strong with over 10,000 vintage comics, the majority of which are now on sale. For half off, choose from Lee's huge stock of golden, silver, bronze, and modern age comics, and specializing in Silver Age Marvel titles. You can count on friendly service, accurate grading, and quick, secure shipping backed by a money-back guarantee. To check out Lee's eBay store, go to eBay. Click Advanced Search to the left of the search bar. Scroll down to Sellers and enter Lee's Comics, Inc., period. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Lee's Comics is shipping daily with no delays. New items daily. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast and get a free bonus gift. Dennis the Menace, originally a comic book panel introduced in 1951, expanded into a comic book series, an American television series starring Jay North, an animated television series, and subsequent television series, books, and feature films. There's even a chapter on the British version of Dennis the Menace and Dennis' longtime association with Derek Green and his playground. Pocket Full of Dennis the Menace by Mark Arnold and Fun I Did Productions explores the entire history of Dennis the Menace and is available now on Amazon and Fair Manor Media in hardcover, paperback, and ebook versions. Order your copies today. Hey, Michael, it says here we've written another book about the monkeys. Wasn't the first one enough? Not at all, Mark. Our original book, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Songs One by One, was very successful, but only covered half the story. Which half? The group half. Our new book, Headquartered, A Timeline of the Monkey's Solo Years, covers the solo half. Who knew the monkeys record so many solo albums? Not only that, but this book covers all of their solo projects, including stage shows, horse racing, running record labels, directing and starring in TV shows and movies, voice acting, and jail. Jail? Did the monkeys go to jail? Ah, you have to read the book to find out. You've sold me. Have you sold them? Who, who, who's them? 
those people out there listening to this. Well, listen to this. This book has discographies, photos, and other information about the Prefab Four, Mickey, Davy, Peter, and Mike, the Solo Monkeys, plus another nifty cover by Scott Shaw. Wow, he did our last cover, and this one's equally good. Where can you get this masterpiece? Announcer. Announcer? That's me. <clears throat> get Headquartered, a timeline of the Monkey Solo Years, written by Michael A. Ventrella and Mark Arnold. Those two guys. It's available in hardback, paperback, or ebook from BearManorMedia.com or from Amazon. Get your copies today. Cool. I'm going to get one today. You can now order my latest book, the TTV Scrapbook, from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Bear Manor Media. If you'd like signed copies of this or any of my books, please email me at funideas.mark at gmail.com for further information on how to order directly from me via PayPal. I'm currently working on a Dino Writers article for Back Issue Magazine and, of course, the Mad and Turtles books. My next book should be the Pac-Man book I turned in earlier this year. It should be out sometime in 2022. On today's show, we have a returning guest who is a musician and an artist, writer, and publisher. He performs as the Slow Poisoner and publishes the humor magazine Freaky. His songs have graced seasons one, two, three, and soon five of this podcast. Here he is, Andrew Goldfarb. Hi, this is Mark Arnold with another Fun Ideas podcast. And today we have a returning guest, but he's always welcome on this show. He is uh, Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb, and he now publishes Freaky Magazine. Yay! <laughs> you got my finger right on. <laughs> I gave you the finger, right, or you gave me the finger. Okay, but I got one. Um, so, how are you doing, and how's Freaky doing? Freaky's good. You can see the other fingers right above my finger. Oh, that is fingers. I was thinking that was some sort of weird, like, uh, Lost in Space robot pants or something. <laughs> Ooh, Lost in Space robot pants? Yeah, you know how he's kind of yeah. be around his, uh, you know, this <laughs> wow yeah i never really watched lost in space i've tried it a few times but um it's not for I, everyone's taste and also if you're an adult and you've never watched it before i can see how dr smith can get on one's nerves <laughs> yeah the, the man's an icon yeah however i watched it when i was a little kid and i have the dvds and i'm like going through them and i go I remember this episode. I remember this one. <laughs> so um, now do I have nostalgia for it? It's just, no, I remember it. And it's like I'm a masochist that I have to go through all of them and just say, I've seen all of them now. And then I can live and move on to some other TV show that I've never seen all of before. So that's what I do. Yeah, growing up in the, um, the 70s, because you're the same age as I, pretty much. Your your viewing choices were severely limited by your physical location, like what stations you could actually pull in, you know what I mean? Because you had, like, the UHF and the VHF, and one of them was, like, the basics, like, two and four and six. And then we had a few weird ones up in the UHF, like, 44 and 40. Yeah. Those are the ones that would show, like, weird stuff, like The Outer Limits or Twilight Zone. Yeah. Like and they showed Lost in Space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's why I saw it. But I never saw all the episodes. It was just something as a kid, you know, it's just like everything else. You flip on the TV. Oh, something to watch, you know. 
never made a yeah. habit of it, you know. But there's certain ones I remember, and there's certain ones that are just when I'm watching it now, I go, okay, I can see by this episode why it's kind of a cult hit, and I can see by these episodes, plural, why it can get on one's nerves if you <laughs> aren't a true hardcore fan because, you know, they're not that good. You know, some people might watch this and go, oh, sacrilege, you know. But, yeah, I think whatever, though, that you watch when you're, like, eight, you will retain some affection for. Yeah, well, for me, I think I retained it, like, something I've watched my whole life, anything. <laughs> but, yeah. But for me, the biggie probably is, like, Sesame Street, you know, just because that... I probably saw at the earliest age of remembering, or, or Mr. Rogers, just being plopped in front of the TV at two, you know, and seeing those. Yeah, Sesame Street was a trip, and but I mean, the, the ones that really made an impact on me were probably the um, the Croft ones, like uh, oh, H.R. Puff and stuff. Yeah. And, and Bugaloos uh, and, you yeah, know, Lidsville. Yeah, now, the thing is, I watched all those things, but as a kid, I found them Quite annoying. <laughs> um, as an adult, oh, yeah, they're annoying. All that stuff is really campy, you yeah. know. And sort of, um, I like that aspect though, and I like the low budgetness. I've been, you know, because I've been doing some music videos. I'm going to be doing some other video projects next year, and I'm really inspired when I see what people do with very little money. You know, mm -hmm. they're trying yeah. to pull off something strange. And some of those shows, like you can tell, it's just made out of like cardboard and you know acid. When you watched it as a kid, did you enjoy it, or did you just watch it because it was on, like, some of these shows? Oh, I watched it. I enjoyed it. Yeah. There isn't... I don't remember ever just tolerating TV unless it was, like, the news. I remember always actively enjoying it, like Fantasy hmm. Island. Like, I was just thrilled to be watching Fantasy Island. I think part of it is just the escape from reality. I mean, you know, you're in your parents' reality. You're not really in your reality yet. Right. And so, like, to get away from it and go into the TV reality or the book reality or the, yeah. the comic reality, which but brings it, it, back it, to... I don't... I'm trying to... I guess I'll just ask it direct because I was trying to formulate something and see if you had the same opinion. And you may not. It doesn't matter. But it's like, I have a much greater tolerance for campy stuff than what you're saying, the low-budget stuff now. In fact, I almost prefer it than high-quality, well-made stuff. And so, you know, stuff like H.R. Puffin stuff as a little kid got on my nerves, and now it's like I can appreciate it for... Uh, it's probably because I can appreciate it on a different level. I mean, I know, like, you know, there's things like maybe a homosexual subtext or something or a drug subtext or any other subtext that, as a little kid, you just go... It's just this annoying guy in a dragon costume or whatever. <laughs> I don't know if you had any. Yeah, sort of... well, there are some some aspects I think of like Bullwinkle that just went over my head as a kid and I was just puzzled by. But <coughs> now I really appreciate. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just so fast paced and crazy. Yeah. I I didn't get Bullwinkle as a kid. I mean I got some of the jokes, but you know, and I, I had uh Keith Scott who wrote that big Bullwinkle book a couple months ago. And I, it was where there where I first said, I didn't know Bullwinkle was a continuing story <laughs> you know, when I was a kid. Because I never really watched it, like, regularly or religiously. And I don't even know if it was on every day. But if it was, I didn't necessarily watch it. So 
it always seemed like whenever I watched Rocky and Bullwinkle, I enjoyed it, but they'd always say, stay tuned next time for this story and this story. And then you'd go watch it another time. And suddenly there's like, instead of them going to the moon, there's suddenly metal munching moon mice. And I said, oh, okay, now they're doing this. And I didn't know that there's actually multi parts of an actual real long story arc, you know, <laughs> until yeah, I was about 12 yeah. when Channel 2 repeated them all. Um, they made a big deal. We're going to show Bullwinkle again in the original play date order, which uh, I said. I think Great. sometimes we did get it jumbled, so I wasn't sure if it always continued. I think it was kind of, I figured it was sort of like Batman, where sometimes it does that, sometimes it doesn't. But the metal munching moon mice that you mentioned, that's like the greatest TV episode ever, as I yeah. recall. I should go watch that later. Well, it's not just one episode. It's about, I don't know, I think that one's about like, 18 episodes or something you know it goes on for a bit (laughs) i remember that one being amazing you know when i am freaky gets printed in southern california and sometimes i go down there to pick it up because um i like to pick things up they're heavy and then it feels (laughs) like stuff is real and uh, i will sometimes visit the bullwinkle sculpture that remains on sunset boulevard is that out there again because they removed it for a while it's back. It's beautiful. All right. There, because yeah. I know they removed it to restore it, and then they removed. They kept it removed, I believe, because they were showing it off at some museum exhibition or something, and and so it was just out of circulation. So if it's back on Sunset, that's great. It's so. not far from Mutato, which is um, Mark Mother's Buzz uh, mm-hmm. Music Company, which is this crazy green flying saucer of a building. Hmm which used to house a uh, plastic surgery office where murder was either took place or involved the doctors thereof. Now, since you mentioned that about the Rocky and statue, did you ever go back when J. Ward Studios was still open and there's Deadly U. Wright Emporium and all that stuff? No, but there was a Bullwinkle Pizza Parlor in... Campbell, California, yeah. I went to as a kid. Did you go to it? Yes, I went to that. In fact, it was fantastic. It was to show amazing. how old I am, uh, it's, it'll be exactly 40 years ago <laughs> um, in two weeks that I celebrated my 15th birthday there. So, <laughs> And people would say, why would you celebrate your 15th birthday at a kitty restaurant? Well, they didn't have it when I was five, so I celebrated it when I was 15. But actually, when I was 15, Huge J. Ward, huge Rocky and Bullwinkle fan. I mean, I was obsessed. I would go into that restaurant all the time and just pick up menu items, and I'd buy uh, merchandise, anything that had Rocky and Bullwinkle on it. And I still have that stuff because I knew from past experience they made small amounts of that stuff, and if you didn't buy it right away, it was gone. And then you you knew that at fifteen, yeah. You are a nerd's nerd there. I am a nerd's really? nerd. Well, you know, it's like, I mean, we've talked about Mad before. I started reading Mad at 7. I started reading Lampoon at 10. And I started Monty Python around age 10. You know? <laughs> so, um, yeah, speaking of the Lampoon, no, and I, I think that's wonderful. <laughs> I'm, I'm not criticizing you there. I think that's, you have an advantage. I'm on just old before I didn't really think to think about that stuff, you know. Or I would have saved Big Boy comics, which were very much ephemera that has not remained with us, but that I found fascinating as a kid. You go to I love comics. collecting. Now, we didn't get to see each other 
just because of time constraints. I went down to California in October and it was the first time in two years I've been down there and uh, went to a, a smallish convention in Pleasant Hill. And one of the things I bought is somebody had like about 10 copies of old big boy comics from like the 70s, 80s, 90s. And they're a buck a piece. And they're ones I didn't have because I'm not really trying to collect all of them. But if I see them cheap and just ones I don't have, I'm buying them. <laughs> so, you know, I was like, Ooh, you know, because Do I you used remember to... which ones you have. You're that familiar with your collection? Um, not by number, but if I see it, do you accidentally buy the same thing more than once? This happens. I don't to do me. it happen. I don't do it a lot, but I have. You know, it happens to me with like cracked because like there's a whole period of mid seventies cracked where they all kind of look the same. They all have Fonzie yeah. on the cover. You know what I mean? It happened to me when I was voraciously collecting Harvey comics, which now I have them all, so it's I don't really care now. But with Harvey comics, lots of bright yellow covers. Uh, lots of similar looking covers, uh, lots of ones. And also they used to have an ad. I don't know if you read Harvey's ever, but they always had an ad that pictured the covers in them. So I had the covers memorized in my head. And actually sometimes I got confused in the other way around is because I used to see the picture of the cover in the ad that I thought I already had it. And then I go through my collection and go, right. I'm missing that one. So yeah, with things like that, I had to get a list, you know? Yeah. Um, and then I started getting a list for other things when I was collecting them because I have them all now. I was like cracked and stuff like that. So um, now I tend to just not go in with the list. It's, if something's cheap enough, like the big boy ones, I'm pretty sure I didn't get any duplicates. But if I did, eh, you know, they're only a buck a piece and I can give them to friends or sell them or whatever. So it's not that yeah, big a deal. Yeah, that's what I do. Yeah. But if it was something that like I bought like and paid, which I don't tend to pay this much, but let's say I paid $100 for something. I better be certain that it's either something special like ultra ultra mint, you know, or something, or it's signed, or it's something I just do not have. But if I already have it and I buy it by mistake, I'm like, Arr! you know. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, I did buy something by mistake when I went down there. Um, I got, you know, those little brown books that uh, they publish about different cities and stuff. Um, I think I forgot the press name, but they do regional books so like uh if you're around here there's a eugene book there's a springfield book but in your area to be a san oh, francisco yeah, yeah, book I know and, uh-huh. yeah and they're little thin volumes on paperback yeah, yeah, yeah. so i went down to santa cruz area and they had a scotts valley one and i am a fan of old amusement parks especially ones that don't exist anymore oh, so is this where um the uh santa's village was yes so there's a lot of photos of santa's village in this and i said cool so i bought the book then I come home and I find out I already had the book. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I went so. to Santa's Village uh, after it had closed when hobos were living in it. Hobos? Hobos. People, <laughs> homeless folks were living in the little elf cottages, which was really far out. I never knew that. The only thing I knew, and I, you may not remember this because you're not in my same grade, but do you remember uh, that... Uh, uh, vandals from my class uh, stole uh, pieces of property from Santa's Village and brought them back and oh, put them man. around the Santa Saratoga High School courtyard along with toilet paper and everything else. But they had like Mrs. Claus's kitchen. I remember a big sign that said that. And they got they got one of the um, Christmas trees and I think they got one of the mushrooms if I remember. It's like 
they hauled back a lot of crap from over there. I said, how did they get in there? Because I started looking around over there in that area, and it was all overgrown with poison oak. So I didn't want to. And if you're saying uh, hobos were hobos and, hobos and poison oak is not a good combination. Yeah, no, it was a dangerous <laughs> landscape. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, no, um, I hear you. You know, when I go on tour, I will sometimes visit um, a sort of low rent. Uh, amusement parks and stuff, especially the sort of fairy tale themed yeah. places. Like, there's a great, oh, there's a great one near you. The, yeah, have uh, you been to Enchanted Forest? That's the Enchanted one Forest is, is one of the best. Yeah, and it's got that crazy like witch's dungeon. Like, yeah, yeah, that's a far out place. That, that looks like something from your act, as it were. Is that uh, yeah, that building that's totally. shaped like a witch with the big nose? <laughs> Oh, yeah, the one that you go yeah. into the mouth of. Yeah, yeah. It looks like something you'd have, like a paper mache version that you put on your, on the stage or something and have it breathe fire or something. <laughs> smoke or totally, something. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we already mentioned Bullwinkles. Did you know there's a Bullwinkles up here? It's up in Wilsonville, which is outside Portland. Um, it, it's still open? It's still open. It wasn't as elaborate as the one down there. Uh, that's long closed. Um, it didn't have as many of the robotic, animatronic type things that they had. But uh, I think in recent times they remodeled it and they've taken those out. Unfortunately, so it's it's pretty straightforward. Not really Bullwinkles, other than in name only by now. But yeah, and I think it has some blow, blown up drawings of Rocky and Bullwinkle. But it's it's pretty much that's about it you know, with connection to Rocky and Boeing. So, <laughs> I run into Gumby's Pizza every now and then, here and there in the Midwest mostly, but it's not terribly Gumby-ish. <laughs> uh, anywho, you asked me about Freaky. Yeah, so I asked a question 20 minutes later. We're finally going to answer. Yeah. Whoops. No, 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 you're not. You're answering your phone now. You know. <laughs> um, I'm working on the cover for the next issue, the cover and the back cover. Now, uh, created by you. Ooh. So here's I have not seen it. it. Okay. So it's just starting to come together, but he's uh, crossing the street and is surprised to find his uh, frenemy popping out. That's the front. And then the back. <laughs> they uh, give each other a hug. Yeah. <laughs> and you made him more slimy and disgusting than I probably drew of my little. Simple. Yeah, I saw. I kept redrawing it slimier, more disgusting. You know, we we try to bring out the slime when we can. Big but, slime fan. You know, that's what what I, I I like. I mean, I have all the issues in front of me. I'll just quickly hold them up. Freaky one through six, right here. Um, and I I had to go through them the other day because I I told you I was on flipping flipping pages, whatever podcast, and. He asked me ahead of time, you you put stuff in Freaky, haven't you? And I go, yeah, I think I've been in every issue except for the first one. Well, it turns out I was wrong. I just probably have been contributing since about the first one. But issue three, I think, or four, I forgot what I said. But I flipped through the pages, and I, I was starting to look at all the different monsters. And I said, you know what I like? Is that Pongo stuff? Anyway, <laughs> um, I... You know, what I like is that it, the more disgusting kind of monsters that kind of just kind of appear around in various articles and stuff like that. So, 
Yeah, there are a lot of disgusting monsters. I think it's something that just a lot of, gives people enjoyment to draw. It's easy to draw disgusting monsters too. Mm -hmm. Much harder to draw like attractive, like things, you know. Mm -hmm. Like like Ook here. Mm -hmm. Ook was easy to build because he's, you know, hairy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if he had to be sleek, it would be tougher. Right. And um, also on that show, you know, so we went through everything, and he was really impressed with all the different articles I read. I don't know how they're received because, you know, it's like you're the one doing it. So do you get any letters about anything or uh, any issues that you had? Because, oh, I mean, yeah. you print letters, but I don't know if you print all of them. And, you know, so. Oh, yeah. Um, I can tell people like them. Okay. I'm not yeah. sure how. You know, I just get that <laughs> sense. You know, I think, I, think, I think everything in Freaky has been commented on positively. Yeah. And sometimes I'll put something in and where I'm thinking, like, you know, maybe only I am going to like this. But that's always one that someone says something about. You just never know. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, that, that's, why, that's, that, why when I, that's why when I'm submitting you things, I, I don't know what you really want at the time. You know? no, and, I, and, I and so I go all over the map. I mean, it's like I never told you how I really submit things. It's like I don't sit down and say, got to write something for Freaky. Got to write something for Freaky. It's usually like I'm brushing my teeth or I'm sitting down or sometime, someplace, usually inconvenient, and suddenly some weird idea came, comes to my head and I go, I can't tell Andrew that one. And either you say, hey, that's pretty good, or mm, I don't know, you know, it's like, but I figured. Yeah, some of them I just, I print out and I file away possibly for later. Um, that's, that's a good way to do it, you know. I don't, ultimately it winds up being just whatever I strikes me as being something I want to put in at the moment, you know, it's, and it varies issue to issue a little bit too. Yeah. But in my case, I think, cause I'm the only guy doing it. It's a one man operation. It just becomes whatever like strikes me in my mood where I'm like, Oh yeah, that feels right. You know? So yeah. it's totally subjective. And I wind up turning down most stuff I would say. Really? Um, just because there isn't room and it doesn't quite fit where I'm at for whatever reason. Do you, of, like, do you get a lot of submissions? Do you get a lot of submissions? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. <laughs> there are, and I don't even know how people find me exactly. I mean, I work to try to get the magazine out there. I print a thousand of them. Yeah. So that's incentive to do something with them, you know? Yeah. Um, and I always get at least like 700 out the door before I move mm -hmm. on to the next issue. Part of that is I just don't have room to store more than three boxes of each issue. So like yeah. 300 is like three boxes, you know? No. So a hundred of those go to subscribers and then that leaves whatever my math was, like 600 more to do something with. Yeah. I will, you know, I'll travel around, when I travel around the country playing music, I'll get them into stores. I will try to do comic, uh, you know, things. So I just push it out wherever I can. I walk around with them and, you know, um, if I see like an interesting shop or a strange car, I will, you know, like shove it <laughs> inside, like just trying to spread the word wherever. And then so people, you know, a certain amount of people see that or online, but I'm not online too much, but people will see it and say, Hey, I draw weird stuff. Can I send you some, you know? Yeah. So I get, I get quite a bit. Um, and a lot of it is really good, but just doesn't, you know, for the reasons I can't quite explain isn't, you know, sort of yeah. exactly what I'm, 
what I'm doing. Um, a lot of your submissions are valuable because they're in the humor magazine tradition, which is a, a, a harder to, unless you like grew up reading it, people don't really understand that stuff that well. You know, yeah. more people send either just comic strips, you yeah. know, or like gag cartoons or something. But like the, the humor article is like sort of a foreign object yeah. at this point. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. So like, I don't get too much of that. So, and, yeah. but then and I, I try to do that try, because so. to me, you know, if I ran the magazine, I always think, what would I like to see in there? And it's like, I don't want to see mad stuff per se. I just want to see stuff that I know is in the vein of that type of publication, you know, it's like, um, and sometimes you say things that'll give me a great idea, which, you know, one ran that one time. And it, I think we were just having a conversation like we're doing now. And I mentioned this on the flipping show is that, um, you know, whatever happened to, uh, uh, dungeons with people hanging on the walls, you know, <laughs> it's like, that used to be a thing in magazines and that's, you know, and then I don't think it was that moment. It was just like a week or two later. I was just like thinking about it and I go, yeah, that used to be in plop. It used to be in crack. It used to be in other things. I should do something with that. And that's what that idea. And then you ended up publishing it. So. Yeah. And then, oh, did you see the letter? There was a letter, I think it was from Cam Hayden, the artist in, um, Canada. Oh, but he went under the name like S.K. Jiggler, and he was writing from the point of view. <laughs> oh, there's this big bang from upstairs. I don't know if I annoyed my neighbor or not. We have very thin walls. So oh, okay. <laughs> I'll have to wait and see. But the um, podcast here. <laughs> yeah, one of those hanging men was based on a toy. I had. Wait, I will demonstrate since we're on video. I'm going to show you this. Very good. <laughs> now, where did you get that? Well, as a kid, this was just something in toy stores. You know, it's huh. one of those sort of rubbery. I've never plastic. seen it before. Is it part of a series or just some weird rubber guy? Yeah, part of a series. I think called uh, Spooky Cookies or Forgotten hmm. Prisoners. It had different names. Just one of these weird stories. But so he was another hanging, you know, prisoner. Yeah. Character. I put him in and then we got a bit of mail. So we recognized him and did a little spoof as if he was a relative. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, people do read this stuff, Mark. People read it and enjoy cool. it. Okay. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, yeah, so it is tough not being able to uh, print all the submissions, and I try to refer folks to other publications, which I'm hoping more will start up. I keep hearing about more humor publications, but then it doesn't usually happen. Yeah, well, the ones that I know of that I do subscribe to, of course, we mentioned before, American Bystander. But that was yeah, a little sort of bit of inspiration for taking Freaky seriously, I would say, and doing the Patreon model. You know, it's a little bit difficult to get in his publication because he wants kind of like a more sophisticated, the National Lampoon, kind of a New Yorker vibe. And yeah, it, it, for me, it's like I can get 
National Lampoon, and I can get New Yorker cartoons, but to kind of mesh them together is like really difficult for me. So anything I've tried to submit to him, this is flatly rejected because it's just not the type of stuff he does. <laughs> you know, you're more in the vein of what I know and what I can do. You know, it's like, um, I think even back in the day, you know, it's like, well, you know, I've never submitted anything to New Yorker because I never thought I would be able to do that type of cartoon. You know that they want. Well, yeah, the New Yorker is so weirdly specific with yeah. its sort of gray wash and sort mm-hmm. of jiggity line. Yeah. We know people now, though, that are in it. Yes, uh, um, Lonnie Millsap is one that I know, and uh, he made these little collections of cartoons for years. At any time I ever see him, I don't know if you've seen him at shows. He does these little square volumes. And I buy his, they're just single panel cartoons, kind of like the far side, but a lot of times they're either a little more dirty or a little more clever than, and somebody would say, clever than far side? Yes, clever than far side. Um, and uh, I didn't think he would make it in the New Yorker. He said, oh, I'd love to be in New Yorker, but he made it. And so he's been in there a few times. So, you know, it's kind of like you with Mad, you know, it's like, you know, you, I'm, I don't know how long you, tried to submit things i forgot what you said previously before you got in there but uh you did get in there a few times it was a bit of a fluke i think i yeah. had some good timing and you know it was at the very end yeah, yeah. what i think is funny and it's of course it's in your shot right there you had the christmas one since they reprint that verbatim every single year you get in it every single year with that one christmas piece that i said here. wow i should have done a christmas piece i would have gotten something in there right before it yeah, no, it's I'm, <laughs> I'm uh, very honored that that's yeah. in there. Yeah. So, so it makes it look like you've had like about twenty submissions, and you really just did, you said three or four or something like that. It wasn't very. Big. I got very lucky. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was I was lucky to just have that on my resume for sure, and I I milk it, <laughs> you know, like I put it on my bio and stuff. Yeah, and then I still see it. I don't know, you know, there was only three published. You didn't have extra ones that didn't get published. Did did you? Uh, because the, I, yeah, I have to go through. It's like I get the Australian mad too. It seems like it appears in there, and it's like, how many did you do? You only did three. Oh, of them, I well, think. Australian mag, it, mad is different. Yeah. You know, I will sometimes just send stuff down there, and they'll run it. You know, just just. Oh, them. so you are still submitting to them? Are you? Yeah. To the oh, okay. One. So okay. it might have. So it might have new material. Okay. All right. Oh, there are a couple that are similar. Okay. to what was in yeah. yeah yeah okay because i thought you've got to have been in there more than three times no <laughs> okay no. all right um yeah that that, that that's weird i you know and, and it's funny in the old days i would never have subscribed to australian mad but you know in the old days i would get mad crack crazy sick well i wasn't getting sick at the time yeah what i love about australian mad is there's a lot of tom bunk in that one you know. The the editor really loves Tom Bunk, and so there's all that really gross Tom Bunk yeah. <laughs> cartoons. You know, and then they do the Mad Classics is the yeah. alternating thing. Yeah. Um, so, so I didn't answer my question, or you asked me a question, what do I get? So American Bystander is one. Uh, there's this other one, which uh, Mort Todd alerted me to, and I subscribed to it, but it's very right-wing, which is kind of surprising. It's called Flip City, and, you know, they talk about we're going to be, you know, you know, I'll just be blunt, you know, be, we're going to be Trumper, we're going to be, uh, 
Oh, this is on my end. No, I can't talk to you now, Charles. Anyway, <laughs> I'm in the middle of recording. Anyway, um, what was I saying? Oh, so, you know, they, they kind of do the anti-vax stuff. They kind of do the, you know, the libtard stuff and everything like that. But occasionally, and this is what's really weird, is they actually come up with something that's genuinely funny. And that's the part that kind of uh, amazes me, amuses me, and mystifies me. So, you know. Um, so, yeah, And I, I don't mind reading humor on, on all sides. Usually, though, right-wing humor is not very funny because they don't understand humor. You know? <laughs> you know? Um, and the times, like I said, that they actually do something that's kind of funny, is it something that actually probably could be intriguing or mad or something like that? It's almost like, oh, you're not trying to put this stupid right-wing slant that isn't funny at all, and you just did something that was actually kind of sort of genuinely funny. So um, that one's gone about eight issues, so it's about the same length of time as yours, and it's based out of L.A. I it's don't a very miss- niche market based in L.A. Who in L.A. would read that? I don't know. It's a, you know, Orange County is a hotbed for Trumperism and stuff like that. Oh, okay. So, or has been. Um, I think it's kind of changing. Wow. Well, that's just depressing, Mark. Yeah. Well, that's your competition. No. Uh, then the other one, of course, is Cartoons, which is the same old cartoons with a new publisher, and that they've actually been pretty good about getting the artists that used to be in Cartoons in the latter days, you know, like, I don't know if you ever read cartoons. It's like, Oh, well, I love, I love cartoons and I love the new cartoons. Yeah. And there's this guy who did Crass and Bernie and they got him back, you know, and he's been in there since the seventies for a bit. Yeah. I mean, it's, it doesn't feel terribly much like the old cartoons, but I, I like it for what it is. Yeah. But I've never Uh, thought that was very funny anyway. It was always kind of a situation where, it's kind of amusing, but it's more like if you like good drawings of cars and usually the big daddy Roth, you know, giant gear types. You know. Yeah, that stuff yeah. is great. And the 60s yeah. ones had some yeah. really weird underground artists involved. And you have so that semi-psychedelic art in the early 60s. Yeah. Because there's also, um, hang on. <laughs> you got something. Let's take a walk through my class. Hey, wow. All right. Okay. I have so, some of those. Early cartoons. Yeah. Isn't it Peterson Publications? Isn't that the... Yeah, you got to just dig the... You know what I mean? It's like almost like an underground comic, right? Yeah. I actually like those earlier ones, but they're hard to find sometimes, so... Yeah, I got a bunch. Yeah. Um, the, the one like that... That one's probably a bit easier to find. The more recent you go, they're easier to find. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. But then um, there are some very strange, like, similar publications. Oh, yeah. Cycle yeah. Tunes. Cycle Tunes, yeah. Cycle Tunes is good. Um, and then a really wild one is Drag. Drag cartoons. Yep. And um, they do, yeah. So here's Gilbert Shelton, I think. So I think went on to do the furry freak brothers. Yeah, he like, did Wonder oh, Warthog. Yeah, Wonder yeah. Warthog also appeared in Help and That's its own and its own comic book and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there was also Hot Rod cartoons. <laughs> Man, you're getting a lot of these. <laughs> uh, well, I've always picked this stuff up. And again, okay. it's from whenever I'm on tour, I'll go to the local comics shops, try to get freaky in there. 
yeah. then pick up whatever they have of cracked mad and you know what i mean so like that's how i got my question i used to avoid all those but now i'm picking those up too because there's nothing else for me to collect i have <laughs> Oh, well, it wasn't part of my childhood because I wasn't really into cars. Yeah. I, just, I, I, I would buy it because I bought everything. So I buy cartoons, too. But that was my problem with it. I didn't think it was particularly funny. I didn't mind the car drawings. I just wanted it to be funnier. So eventually, after a couple of years of buying it, and I didn't even buy it every issue. It was probably like two or three times a year. I think it may have come out six times a year, and I probably bought every other issue or something. And then... After a couple of years of that, I just said, eh, I'd rather buy other stuff that I really, really like. Uh, but now I'm so desperate for anything here. <laughs> it's like, um, I, I've subscribed to the Harvard Lampoon. You know, oh, guess, so is that an actual magazine? That it is an actual have? magazine. They don't do the general parody ones anymore that they used to do. Like, I have a People magazine parody as Brooke Shields holding up a giant fish came out in the 80s and then they did like a Newsweek parody with the atomic bomb on the cover and stuff like that. And back in the day, the guys that actually created Lampoon, they did a giant Life magazine parody that was full size. Um, It's kind of like the precursor to National Lampoon just to kind of test the waters. You know, the pilot issue is for, but um, you know, they don't tend to do those anymore. They just kind of tend to do just Harvard Lampoon and Apparently, the Stanford Chaparral still is around, too, as a publication, and a few other college ones, but a lot of them kind of went by the wayside, and they're only online and stuff like that, and, you know, uh, um, I'm trying to think if I subscribe to any other ones. Those are the ones I basically know about. Oh, I, I found this um, magazine. I forgot the name of it, but they put out, like, six issues over the last six years. Like, they do one issue a year. And I wish I remembered the name of it off the top of my head, but it actually had some pretty funny stuff. Unfortunately, it's only like 12 pages long, so but it is full color, so, you know. Uh, and I can't remember the name of it. I'll have to text you later about it. But, I mean, so I'm so desperate to try to find any humor out there, and there's, like, nothing, you know. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really weird, and it's kind of surprising that Mad's still kind of out there, sort of even with its reprinting, it's like, you know, and nobody's kind of coming in to fill the void. Well, I think the the problem is the medium, right? Yeah. The printed publication, the magazine, um, yeah. it's how long are those even going to be a, a thing for most yeah. people? You know what yeah. I mean? So it, when we wind up, you know, probably all the ones you mentioned, mm-hmm. Cartoon and Mad are bigger, but I mean, American Bystander and myself are probably similar in doing about 1,000 copies. I think mm-hmm. Cartoons does about 15,000. They get yeah. newsstand distribution, though. I see yeah. them in, like, uh, up north. They're like the Fred Myers and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's where I picked it up. Uh, and then Mad still has their subscribers, you know, right. probably like 70,000 or something, 80,000. Right. Uh, and I guess they sell a few through the comic stores. I guess they're having some new stuff, though. Tom Richmond said he was doing something new for Mad, so right. it's not all reprint. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I bet Susie, if she has any chance to put new stuff in there, she probably will. Yeah. But so you, when are you doing yours, Mark? When is Frolic? <laughs> frolic number two. <laughs> yeah, you know, you mentioned this a few times. Life is short. It can be done. If I'm doing it, you can do it. 
you don't do your issue a hundred percent. See, that's the thing. When I did that frolic, it was fifty-two pages. Oh no! Yeah, you can, written and drawn by me, and that's right. like a rarity no, no, for no, no. me. You don't yeah. do it all by yourself. Yeah, yeah. but I did that issue like John Severin. Style. Yeah. So you're not gonna do more though. You're not gonna have other. Um, not uh, not yet. <laughs> I understand. Um, yeah, so I, for a while, I've been doing it twice a year regularly. I, you know, probably like the last three or four issues, but I think I might have to slow down again. It's just, it takes too much energy and too much money. Mm-hmm. Um, so after number seven, instead of waiting six months, I might wait eight, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So but, um, the, the response has been good. I'm especially uh, gratified by how people have sort of taken to my mascot. Like mm-hmm. other folks will draw Freddie Freaknik, you know, yeah. um, which gives me a good feeling. It's similar to, um, uh, you know, Alfred E. Newman. Yeah. And that, that kind of, you know, iconic recognition. We'll see yeah. what we can do for Freddie Freaknik. But uh, can I interrupt you right now? Okay. Yeah. We're going to have to stop, but we're going to resume it in like five minutes. And the reason why is because uh, my friend Charles, this is his account, and he's going absolutely nutso right now, even though I told him I was going to do this tonight. And I will resume on my account, and we will have part two coming up soon. Okay. And then we'll talk about your music. So, okay. Okay. Cool. All right, so this is the end of part one of Fun Ideas Podcast, and we will resume shortly. All right, thanks. Up in the attic, growing mold on memories. Beneath the floorboards where the bodies used to be In the October country where the bridges rot And the weeds creep up inside your head just like a thought From the pigs out of control We went feral in the fields Until one struck a fatal blow By the rich man on the mountain With Corvassier in hands Who won't know what to do with them When all this starts to end But I ain't got that problem It's just me and a nest of rats been hiding in a hat box that I stashed beneath the rack of a train stuck in the station now for far too long to leave. The conductors wear their uniforms with sanitizing sleeves. We ride in on a carriage, but we go out in a box, masquerading as an animal that finally got caught. You can take a number, and I can take a lot But I can't take more of what this old cunt
a steep and winding road And horses high on chimps and we just won't do what they're told The night shades like the devil's snare, it captures all who roam Down into the creek beds looking for a home Willows weep down Main Street on a bitter trail of tears Their forests won't regenerate for a thousand years The sun is taking over now and burning up our minds Kick back in our rocking chairs and watch sea levels rise We ride in on a carriage but we go out in a box Masquerading as an animal that finally got caught You can take a number and I can take a lot But I won't take more of what this old country's Here we are back for part two of the interview with uh, Andrew the Slow Poisoner, Goldfarb. Uh, this time on the Fun Ideas Podcast, this time we're going to talk about the music of the Slow Poisoner because we haven't really talked about that. Um, are you back on tour now that uh, COVID's kind of <laughs> a little it's bit? Is COVID over? Is it over or is it? Uh, no, it's never going to be over. It's always going to have a variance. Keep us oh. at bay at the at the will of the the man. <laughs> well, have we talked about this on previous shows? Because you know, um, in 2019, after touring probably for about 20 years or so, I mean, not all the time. I have a regular life and job, but yeah. touring once or twice a year. In 2019, I was pretty burnt out, and I said, you know, I'm going to stop this. I'm going to take 2020 off. Yeah. And then, of course, 2020 was the pandemic, so <laughs> it worked out conveniently yeah. in a way. I didn't have to cancel anything. A lot. Yeah, of we did talk about that. I, I think I mentioned that you, you, did your, you mentioned your last show you ever did was in Portland at that time, Portland, Oregon. Yeah. And I actually attended that one, and I thought you had continued. Oh, no, that was my last one. And that's... That's what we talked about last time. It's been a while. So, okay. So, so I don't think you'd gone back on the road yet at that time. Last no. Year. So there was a little window in June where mm-hmm. uh, it seemed like this thing was winding down. And mm-hmm. then I didn't go back on the road. I actually went all the way to New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Um, and I played in the Midwest. And I recorded in Memphis at Sun Studio in Tennessee. And, um, then it, when I got back into the Bay Area, you started hearing about the Delta variant, and then mm-hmm. things kind of locked down again. But a lot of those shows were fun because they were outdoors, which was, um, again, Midwest, you get like bullfrogs, you know, at your gigs. And that's, like, that's totally an improvement on playing for human beings, playing for, like, bullfrogs. It's, like, <laughs> way easier like, they're not on their phones, you know what I mean? Like, mm. you, can, you can communicate. At, in um, San Francisco, not too long ago, I played a show with a bunch of goats and chickens. 
not with, they weren't on stage, when one chicken was dancing. <laughs> yeah. Real? Um, so real a little bit of boring. Chicken. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> but um, I'm going to do, I think I'm going to do less of that in the future. I think, you know, I've played almost 600 shows and um, I am for next year, I'm going to actually try doing more of a um, TV show kind of thing. Are you an Ernie Kovacs fan? Oh, yeah. It's going to be sort of modeled on early uh Ernie Kovacs when he was doing live local TV, but it was sort of surreal and weird, be kind of low budget, and sort of avant-garde, yeah. be kind of like that. I'll Black probably movie. like it. <laughs> yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do that, and um, so I'm still playing around town though. I played on Halloween, uh, and and I'm, yeah, I don't think I've got anything else lined up, but there'll probably be gigs, you know. I did switch to acoustic guitar. I'm no longer doing it with the electric guitar and mm. uh, and the drum. It's mm. no longer a one-man band. I've actually gotten smaller. Like, my trajectory, <laughs> you know, I started out <clears throat> playing in a five-piece band called the Slow Poisoners. Right. And then over the years, it got smaller, and for a while, it was a duo. Mm -hmm. And then it was a one-man band, electric, with the drum, the Slow <laughs> Poisoner. Now I'm just a folk singer. But the next step... Yeah, look, I get food. Mark. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Acapella. Hmm. I will just be uh, no instrument at all. Just go up there and sing my mind. And then beyond that, mm -hmm. the magic of mind. <laughs> no sound whatsoever. <laughs> and then beyond mine, the next stage in like the simplicity of my performance will be living statue. I was going to say. Stand, <laughs> and then, but then... It's not over there. There's one final stage, and that is corpse on display. Corpse on display. Yeah, like one of those old Western gunslingers, you know what I mean, that they would like, exhi like exhibit at like the sideshow. Hmm. I want to be just a corpse on display. This little poisoner on tour, but I'm dead. Hmm. So it's like this arc towards simplicity. But on the way, right now I'm in the folk singer stage. Do you want to hear a song? I've got a guitar. Sure. Okay. Sure. Go for it. The stage is yours. <laughs> uh, let me just find a pick here. <laughs> Have your pick. Have your pick. Okay. Um, since we're recording this during the holidays, I'm going to play a holiday number. Sounds good. <laughs> It's uh, the true meaning of Christmas is space exploration. <laughs> you, you know, you like your novelty Christmas record. It looks record. like something I would, I'm not criticizing your art. It just looks like something I would have done when I was like five years old. Like the rocket, I wouldn't have drawn the rocket. That would have been already printed, but I would have taken like various stickers out of a sticker book and it's like oh let's yeah, put a reindeer here and a santa that's here where i'm at with my art these days yeah. <laughs> more like I'm, when i was five you know what i mean <laughs> who you know if i like in a way i'm a lazy man but so this is um this was the b-side to jingle bell rock by bobby helms this is hooray for captain santa claus and his reindeer space patrol you know if i'm going to perform i feel like we should get a little more 
Yay! <laughs> oh, maybe this is not true. <laughs> no, that's fine. All right, here we are. The word had spread from town to town. It said a sleigh had broken down. And there would be no toys this Christmas day. And suddenly a cry was heard up in the sky. Is that a bird? And all the children shouted, hip, hooray. Hooray for Captain Santa Claus and his reindeer space patrol. Slade broke down one Christmas Eve as he started from the home. He said, those children's hearts will break if I don't make this trip. Santa's numbers save the day and they built a rocket ship. <laughs> and with his reindeer space cadets, he took off through the air. Not one chimney did they miss, every stocking got its share. The children dance around the tree, with each time they're told. Tale of Captain Santa Claus and his reindeer space patrol. Pray for Captain Santa Claus and his reindeer space patrol. Sleigh broke down one Christmas Eve as he started from the phone. He said those children's hearts will break if I don't make this trip. Santa's helpers save the day, and the a rocket ship. And with his reindeer space cadets, he took off through the air. Not one chimney did they miss, every stocking got its share. The children dance around the tree, with glee each time they're told. The You're number one. You're number one. <laughs> I'm not sure that's what that finger says. <laughs> I'm number one. I'm number one. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? Wow. <laughs> Where in the world did you find that? <laughs> it's Santa in space. <laughs> is that a current thing or is that from like the 60s? I found it on Hate Street today. Oh, okay. <laughs> Moon Santa. Hmm. Oh, wow. <laughs> Ooh, sugar cookie flavor. Weird. <laughs> it is. It tastes so, strange. I have a number of Pez dispensers, but I'm not really a collector. But I'm annoyed that the two most valuable and also the two most wanted by me Pez dispensers they're very difficult to find and very pricey. Can you guess what they are? We mentioned one of them oh, during the course oh, of this thought. show. And you probably have them. If you have them, no. how dare you? 
I've only got one, one really good one. But to me, this is the best dispenser. Mr. Ugly. <laughs> Look at Mr. Ugly. I am Mr. Ugly. Is that an older one or is that? Uh... Yeah, that's from the 70s. Oh, okay. Okay, so the two, can you guess which they are? That'll be the quiz time. Um, Italy, they're most valuable to me. That's a hint. And they've never reprinted them. You know how, like, every so often, like, if you liked Mickey Mouse, let's say. Oh. Well, every, every so often, there's another one, you know. Oh, but like, these two have never been printed again. And Bullwinkle's one of them. So we did mention that earlier. And what is the other one? Something I really like. Something I... Yep, you're right. <laughs> so both of those are worth, like, a thousand bucks if you find um. them, you know. And it's like... And they've never reissued them. And I, I was saying, well, I can kind of understand Casper. It's kind of fallen out of favor. But Bullwinkle, I mean, there's like a movie. Well, even Casper, there is a movie. And I always thought Halloween, they could put it out again. Nope, never never done. Um, I've seen them both in person. Like, here, here's Odd Museums. And you're close to this one if you haven't gone to it. Uh, the Pez Museum in Burlingame. Have you gone there? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So they have both of them there. So at least I've been in pro close proximity to both of the as dispensers I would like to have, but I do not want to spend $1,000 each on them. I wouldn't even want to spend $100 each. If I sell them, maybe the most I'd pay is 50 bucks, but they're not, they're worth a lot more than that. You know, unless there's some foolish person who's putting it up at their garage sale or something, or just, I find it in a thrift shop. I probably will never have one in my lifetime, but unless somebody wants to send one in, I'll take it. So. You never know. I never know. Yeah, that's true. I I have found collectible items cheap over the years. The um, you know the one thing I wanted for quite a while, and eventually I gave up looking for. But then once you do, you know it finds its way to you. I'll show you. Yeah. Hey, Naga hide. Yeah, Naga. <laughs> I've never seen one that color. That's an interesting color. The ones I usually see are like orange or red. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. The Naga, you know, you just got to believe, Mark, that 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 Pez dispenser wants to find its way home to you. <laughs> I'll probably find one. But um, oh. I remember, this is a true story. Um, you're familiar with the Beatles butcher cover, probably. Um, so I was, this is back when I was living in San Francisco and a friend of mine, uh, his mother worked for Capitol records in Los Angeles in the sixties and seventies. And, uh, she gave this, um, she got one of the paste over butcher covers. It wasn't the raw one, but still, um, and he got it, She gave it to him for Christmas or something. And she got it for free just as like, just as, a Christmas gift herself, and she just passed it on to him. And I was like looking at it, I was like, oh my God. It's like, you know, even though it was a paste over, you know, it was like, that's supposed to be the Beatles Holy Grail thing. I don't know if it still is, but, um, and I said, I'll never find one because I'd see them in stores, and uh, we're talking the 80s at this time. Uh, the cheapest I would ever see one is maybe about 50 bucks. 
you know, I never see them that, you know, and usually they're a lot higher, like well over a hundred and stuff like that. Or they'd be this bad peel job that would look terrible. And it's like, I don't really want to buy that. <laughs> so, and they would be even more pricey because now you see the butcher cover, it's like 200 bucks or something. And this is back then. Now I think they're in the thousands or something. And um, I can say this story now because I doubt they'll say, give my record back. Um, is there, you, you go around San Francisco regularly, like just to shop for various records, and, you know, even if you don't buy anything, right? So, yeah. Um, there used to be a shop on Clement Street called Revolver Records. It was like Clement and Sixth or something. Yeah. It, no, I don't know if it's no, still there, but it was there no. in the 90s and yeah. maybe even the OOs, but it's probably gone now. But at the right. time, they were a pretty cool record shop. They had, you know, a pretty good selection of old stuff, but they knew their stuff. So, I mean, if they had a butcher cover, they would typically have it priced out of my range. Now, I don't know if they did this by mistake or what, um, but uh, I was going through the Beatles bin, as I normally would, and uh, I looked at the copy of yesterday and today, and I said, hey, that looks like Ringo's turtleneck kind of showing through the paper there. And it was priced at $7.95, and I was getting really nervous, and I had no money in my pocket. I had maybe like a buck, and it was $7.95. So I had a friend of mine with me, and I say, can you lend me $10, and I'll pay you right back right after I buy it, and no questions asked. And she says, all right. You know, so she lends me $10. I go up to the counter, and I know I've had this happen buying comic books before. You may have had this happen yourself. You bring up a comic book, and you know it's worth a lot more than what they have it marked. And then they go, oh, we can't sell this to you. This is marked wrong, or, you know, it, it's really this really high price. And it's like, you know, and so I didn't get it. Oh, so in the case of the Beatles record, I was like a little bit nervous. I was trying to hide it. And I was like, hope he doesn't say, oh, we can't sell you this, you know. So I went up there, gave him 10 bucks, got my change, whatever, and uh, left. And then I go with my friend and she's all, all right, what's the story on this? You know, I go, and you're not going to get mad because I, I'm going to just pay you back 10 bucks, you know. And so I told her the whole story. I said, yeah, this is probably worth about $700, not $7.95. And they mispriced it. And she goes, oh, yeah, well, maybe I should take it. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 no. Yeah, she was cool about it. And I gave her 10 bucks back. And, you know, I got my record and I still have it. But, I mean. Oh, uh, you say you have it. Yeah. So I still have it after all this time. I've never taken up. Because over the, over the years, I said, yeah, I went from, oh, I should probably steam it off. But I thought about it and I said, I'll probably screw it up if I steam it off and I'll probably burn it or something or, you know, make it look worse. So I just said, I'll leave it alone. Now, everybody in the world has steamed it off or tried to over the years. And so the paste over one, if you leave it alone, that's even rarer now than one that somebody's tried to steam off. So I'm not touching it. It's going to be a paste over as long as I own it. You know, somebody else wants to steam it off. I'm not doing it. So. So are you going to try to sell it when it's kind of at peak value? Yeah, it's all now. Somebody paid me enough money for it. I'm not selling it for $7.95. <laughs> Plus tax. <laughs> I'm wondering sometimes if the stuff we're interested in, you know, like things from our, our childhood or mid-century, like we'll sort of peak in value as our generation has 
as much money as it's going to have yeah. and sort of decline in value. You know, like I imagine some stuff from the silent era probably isn't worth a whole lot anymore, you know, just because everybody's dead that would have been interested in it. Well, that's that's happened like uh, with like pulp magazines and big little books. The values of those went up way, way up probably about 20 years ago. And now because most of the people who collected those are older or dead, uh, the and younger people don't really care about those things. Yeah. You know, so I'm wondering, you know, a lot of people that collected, like, say, like the first issues of Superman, you know, and action comics and stuff in the 30s and 40s, and they had all that golden age stuff. They're getting into their 80s and 90s and beyond now. And, you know, are these things still going to be valuable? Because, I mean, Grant, you see stories like Action Comics number one sold for $3 million, and this guy found it in the slats in his wall or something of his house, and all these weird stories like that. But I think there will be exceptions. Yeah, probably will be because it's still relevant to the culture. Superman still matters. So something like that will probably still stay valuable, but I can't think of all Golden Age comics. I think something's got to go down in value. And also... They're deteriorating. I mean, I remember, I don't know if you were, did you go to comic conventions ever in the 70s or 80s or even stores? Um, like, I, a little bit, yeah. Yeah. And you'd see, like, uh, this is what I noticed, is, like, the EC Comics, Tales from the Crypt, Weird Science, and all that stuff. In the 70s and 80s, because it was only 20 years previously, you'd find them in the store, in the raw, as it were, and they'd usually be in pretty decent shape, not too beat up. And uh, sometimes even shiny, glossy covers and stuff like that. Um, now, here we are uh, many, many, many years later from the 70s and the 80s. So these uh, comic books are like 70 years old. And I don't see them. Like, now, they could be in everybody's collection. But I don't tend to see them even in shows in very good shape anymore. It's like these things are just deteriorating on the vine. And it's like... It's it's just kind of weird. It's like that they still command higher prices than ever, and it's it's stuff that's going to rot, you know, essentially. And yeah, like, that's a good point. I, I'm wondering how this is going to be. I mean, you know, buying your old issues of drag tunes and cartoons and stuff, you're not paying thousands of dollars for those. I wouldn't expect you to, you know. But you know, for people paying thousands of dollars of old comic books, expecting to make some sort of profit. Mm-hmm. Or expecting yeah, it to stay in nice condition, you know, it's like well, that's where they get them sealed in these mylar boxes. Yeah, and read them. But even then, that's not foolproof, and they, I've told, I've heard that you're supposed to bust them out every so often and replace, the, you know, all the things, or it'll start deteriorating inside the case and everything like that. So, yeah. to me, it's too much of a hassle. I'd rather have a nice reprint. So, which I do in my collection, you know, reprints of all those things, but you know. Um, just interesting how those prices keep going up, up, up. You know, is there a peak or is it just going to keep going up? Yeah, it seems things like EC still command top dollar. I mean, people have a real, you know, emotional attachment to that stuff. But um, yeah, maybe towards the end of our lives, you know, <laughs> um, I used to, as a kid, I would read Famous Monsters. Did you read Famous Monsters? Yes. Yeah. And, and they would have those ads in the back where it would show you all the issues that, you know, you could send away for. And I used to, like, really just, 
fascinated looking at these tiny little, you know, yeah. figures. And then now, you know, that I'm middle-aged and have, you know, a little money, I can buy some of them, right? And then right. You, you have it. And it's like you've almost completed the purpose of your life. Like your childhood, like desires are yeah. met. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. it's great, but it's also kind of like, okay, now there's nothing else to look for. Yeah, well, I mean, you're, you're describing my life. I mean, it's like when I went to the show, you know, down in Pleasant Hill, it was the first comic book show I've gone in years that I didn't take a list with me. And you, you asked, oh, well, it's like, you know, are you worried about providing duplicates? It's like, well, if I do, it's like, you know, I'm not buying really expensive things. But at the same time, it's like the things I really want, I pretty much have already. I mean, unless I want to be meticulous about it, it's like, oh, this one has a, you know, ripped cover. I should replace it or whatever. But I'm not even that meticulous about it. You know, if it was in good, I tried to buy it in good condition in the first place, but. Yeah, have you read them all, Mark? Uh, every issue of Mad I have, and Cracked, and yeah, I've read pretty much every. You magazine. read them thoroughly. When I read Mad and Cracked, I do not waste my time like with every movie parody of like some '60s Western TV show. It's <laughs> not going to add anything. To I can life. safely say I probably read it at one point, but do I reread it when I like in the last year? As you know, I'm working on um, a Mad book oh that's right how is that coming and uh it's going slowly but in the last year meaning this year calendar year 2021 i've gone through every single issue of mad from uh uh number one to number 23 uh -huh. no but number one through 550 and then one through 23 and did i read it from cover to cover? No, but I mean, I, I went through it kind of meticulously just to, like, you know, the, the, I mean, the early issues from the 50s through the 80s, I have them embedded in my brain. There's pretty much, I, I know everything. I know all the covers. Like if you said, what's on the cover of Mad 125? I go, yeah, it's the one with the bottle. It's the poison bottle. You know, it's like you could just say an issue. Once you get past, like, issue 300, Mad 336, what's on the cover? I'm like, Mm, might be Ninja Turtles. I don't know. Batman. I don't know. You know, but on those earlier ones from like one to two fifty, I know all the covers, you know, but you know, because there used to be like this calendar poster that had all the covers and I just memorized the covers. I could probably do that with famous monsters because I did that same thing that you did. You know, you look at the things, you memorize all the covers. It's like number 33, Ed. Uh, the Hunchback of Notre Dame or something like that. You know, number 32 had King Kong or something. You know, it's like, so what was your question really? <laughs> it's like, oh, have I read it all? I think I have at some point or another, but in rereading it, um, I kind of pick and choose things. And it's like, there are, you know, I don't tend to reread the movie parodies too much when I was going through them because it's like, I, I know them by heart, the ones that I love. You know, and then the other ones, I don't even care. You know, it's like, you know, so. But I've tried to read everything. Like Harvey Comics, when I was buying them, I, I read them all. Archie's, when I used to buy them, I read them all. I read all the ECs. I made a point to read all those. And I tried to read them all chronologically because I didn't buy them in the 50s. I bought them in the 90s. But they put them out kind of haphazardly. They put out, like, shock suspense stories at the same time with Tales from the Crypt. But that's comic didn't start till like, three years later. 
So I waited until the entire run of all the comics came out, and I put them in chronological order so I could see the evolution of the art as it originally occurred. So, and you know yeah. what I got some of lately that I was surprised that they were good was crazy towards the very very end. Yeah, I guess crazy was good at its very start and its very end. Yeah, was good. Just in the middle, it was no. Yeah. Good. So the story in crazy originally was edited by Marv Wolfman. And then he got too busy editing um, uh, Tomb of Dracula, I think, and a couple other things. And so he handed it over to Steve Gerber. Then Gerber got too busy with Howard the Duck. And so they gave it over to Paul Lakin, which Paul Lakin uh, is always kind of referred to as kind of like the hack guy that you get. And he's been in like every humor magazine. He was a man. Cracked forever, right? Yeah, he, he he edited and wrote for Cracked. He wrote for Crazy. He wrote for Sick. He wrote for, you know, he did everything, you know. So he was like, he's the go-to man to do just like, you know, generic stuff. So that's what was in Crazy from like the 15th issue to like the 60th issue, roughly. Yeah, and those tend to be not so hot. And, you know, he uses some good artists, but a lot of the artists are kind of like, you know, I won't mention them just because they might be watching. I don't know. <laughs> I have no fears. Um, but then they got Larry Hama, who later on did G.I. Joe, uh, to take over Crazy in its last three years. And he started reprinting the early stuff. He pretty much ignored all the Lakin stuff. And then he started doing new stuff. Most of it was good. A few things were kind of annoying, but at least I, I gave him kudos for trying. Like, I'm not a big fan of Obnoxio the Clown, but I give him kudos for at least trying something new. You know, yeah. so, you know, uh, Teen Hulk was, mm, but at least it was something new. Generic Kids is really cool. Yeah, I like those a lot. And I like Pedro's stuff. You know, yeah, I think totally. you should do something similar to that. Yeah, just, that's in the like, document. Yeah, you, know, you could do a monster Pedro stuff. Don't call it Pedro stuff, but you know, yeah. just weird. You know, you're talking about people sending in oddball one shot jokes or something. You know, just have a page. Well, you do kind of that do that anyway, but you know, just weird puns and you know, like I remember one. It's just stupid stuff, stooge humor, and it says Larry's fine, but Joe's better. You know, it's just just a dumb joke, but I laughed. You know, so you know, so anyway. yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's been a weird year, wouldn't you say? Twenty twenty one, in a way, weirder than twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah. And um, for me, kind of tying it all up from what we're talking about, you know. I tend to just embrace, and I've said this before elsewhere, maybe, I don't know if I told you, I tend to embrace things that were made between roughly 1930 to 1990. I'm not saying I don't enjoy anything more recently or older than those years, but I would rather know more about stuff that came out in the 60s, 70s, 80s than pay too much attention about what's happening now, you know, because just because I'm not alive from that. And people could say, well, you're just nostalgic for that. Well, I'm nostalgic for something I didn't even live in. I'm nostalgic for uh, 50s stuff too, you know, and I wasn't even around, you know, and I was barely around the 60s. So I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting how that can be, um, can become a bit of a, like a nostalgia for something you didn't participate in. Like I feel that way when I look at, English stuff like comics and TV shows from the mid 60s 
because they're very different, like things like Thunderbirds, you know, or yeah. like, um, and their comics have a very unique thing where they were weekly and they had a lot of like um, weird humor that I like mm -hmm. a lot, but I didn't see any of it as a kid or even as no. a young person. I've only seen it, you know, in recent time, but it's like sort of got obsessed with some of it. And it's like, I wonder, I wonder about that whole thing though, because these are really weird years and to spend a lot of your time digging through older media. Like I spent a lot of time looking at old humor magazines yeah. and a lot of those to get into. Well, I just enjoy it. I don't know about you. It's like people always are telling me about a brand new show that you can see streaming on Netflix or on uh, Disney plus or whatever. And it's like, the, you know, I'll, I watch things like I watch the get back thing with the Beatles, of course, you know, but I'm a big Beatles fan, but I was saying if somebody says, uh, Oh, I like, Gracie and Frankie, I'll use that. You know, I'm a Lily Tomlin fan. I, I like Jane Fonda, but it's like, I don't really care about watching that show. I don't want to see them when they're old. I'd rather, I would rather watch 9 to 5 again than watch Grace and Frankie, you know, <laughs> example. I would rather watch Laugh-In again more than, you know, whatever they're attempting Laugh -in to do. Laugh-In is terrible, though. Oh, my God. Like, I mean, as a curio, just as, like, something to, like, well, I, I found this on Laugh-In. Here, here's so the story on Laugh-In. strange and stilted and square. Laugh-In was not made for binge-watching because they oh, did no. a lot of repetition, a lot of repeats. I mean, it's like, and, it just you know. It seems like it was for, like, older would-be swingers that wanted to get with, like, the younger. But stuff. I still like it for that reason because I said I like the camp stuff, you know, and it's very camp, you know, because it's trying to be it. But at the same time, it's like the Dean Martin show. I've been watching that lately, too. You know, he's trying to be young and hip. And I got to remember, this guy's like, when I'm watching these from the late 60s, early 70s, he's my age now, you know. Right. And I don't sit there and try to be young and hip. I just like what I like. But he was kind of trying. He's like, uh, you know, annoyed that, like, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and all the 60s pop acts were kind of taking his singing career away but it's like it's inevitable because most music is kind of like a young man's medium young woman's medium be not sexist whatever you know it's not for old people you know it's like that's why there's a 27 club you know it's like everybody's like gets in burns out is done and it's like if you're past 50 you're like an old man in rock and roll you know? sorry yeah it's true <laughs> um and, uh, like, I passed by a poster for shows that were coming to the Bay Area, and I didn't recognize a single name. And you could tell that they were acts that were fairly large, because I think this was, like, you know, not a stadium, but a place that probably seated, you know, at least a few hundred people. And I didn't recognize a single one, and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah I'm really just not part of any of that. Yet I still wind up playing gigs myself, so I feel very, like, mm -hmm. fortunate at the age of 53 to even, like, yeah. play gigs, yeah. you know what I mean? Now, do you ever feel guilty one way or the other? I'll explain why. It's like when I was, like when I was in high school, I used to pour over like the Billboard charts, and I would read the music magazines, and always wanted to be up on everything to do with music and everything. Flash forward to now, you know, it's like I could care less who's on the chart. I don't really care. I just kind of the way I do things now is I kind of peruse the record stores and I peruse. 
uh, like Amazon and just see if any of my old favorite artists might have put out a new album in the last five years. And I go, oh, here's another one by them. I don't know any of the songs off of it because it's never played on the radio anymore. And uh, but, you know, it's that band again. You know, a good example is Duran Duran put out a brand new album. I don't know if they're touring. I don't know where they play their music, but it's a new album. I figure, eh, Duran Duran had some hits. I like some of their stuff in the past. I'll buy it. Wasn't bad. I don't know if it's charting well. I don't really care, you know, but it's like it's around, you know, but it's just kind of funny that there's like that, that, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm sure a group like Duran Duran doesn't have anything better to do. What else are they going to do? You know, it's like they've made their millions, you know. Are they going to become stockbrokers or something? I mean, I guess they could hang it up, but why Why not record if you have the ability to? I don't know. But I don't know who it follows like a group folks like that. do keep going. Um, it seems that way sometimes. Like, you'll yeah. think of someone and wonder, where are they now? And if you look them up online, oh, they just still exist, but it's yeah. very small, but they're still doing things. Yeah. I think people, I think people do genuinely like doing it. I mean, we're seeing now this generation of musicians in their like seventies and eighties still playing until they yeah. like die, you know, like, yeah. like Lemmy of Motorhead practically dying on stage. Like they'll just go to the end because yeah. that's, that's their whole yeah. life. Well, know? even Keith Richards has said that before he says, I'm, you know, when are you going to retire? Retire. I'm just going to keep going until I die, you know, I'll fall over on stage one day or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which in a way is cool because it shows it wasn't just they weren't just phoning it in for a paycheck like they do this right. because they actually do. Yeah. You know, like you say, they don't have to. Anymore. But I, 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 I have this tendency. I don't I think I'm past having this tendency now, but there's a while there, probably in the last 10 to 15 years where I started feeling guilty that I wasn't keeping up as much on what's brand new. I said, does this mean I'm old? Does this mean I'm a fuddy duddy? And, you know, I was like, oh, geez, I'm not keeping up with the current stuff all the time. You know, and then this is the weird thing. Uh, I've just recently changed jobs, but I'll talk about my previous job. My previous job, there's, uh, I'm usually the oldest person in the room nowadays. It used to be I was the youngest person in the room, so that's how times have changed. But anyway, in one of the offices, people play the radio because, you know, they can or some sort of music, I don't know, iPod or whatever, you know, recurrent Sirius XM or whatever you want to be the word of the day. Anyway, um, but what are these 20-somethings listening to? 60s through 80s music, you know, so they're playing like the police, and they're playing all this, you know, and it's like, I want to go, how come you're not playing like Taylor Swift? How come you're not playing BTS? How come you're not playing, you know, and it's like, is there no market for this for young people and they'd rather just hear the same old stuff that we're listening to they don't do it right? Or I don't know how it works. So I, once I started feeling it, seeing that the young people are still listening to the same crap I listened to my whole life, I go, eh, I don't feel so guilty. I'm, I'm still hip. I'm just, you know. Yeah, there are some weird examples of that, especially with things like punk rock. Like I would never have thought that punk rock would still exist in yeah. 20... 22 that there would be yeah. something called punk rock that just seems weird like looking yeah. back on it because i got involved in the tail end in the early 80s and yeah. just the idea that people like i would still see people that looked you know like they were from the late 70s early 80s yeah. with the same like patches and things is weird but um 
No, I mean, you know, you're like when I worked for Med briefly and thought I was going to continue in that capacity, it occurred to me that maybe I would have to understand like what, for example, Fortnite is. Yes. <laughs> now, do you even know what Fortnite is? Um, for what I know, it's a role-playing video game with okay. uh, characters that are costume people like, say, the Banana Splits or the like. And they attack and kill people. That's essentially what I know. I could be wrong on that because I don't. All really right, I didn't even know that much. But okay. it seemed like if if Mad were to continue and I were to be like an illustrator, you know, I would need to understand things like that because yeah. we would be making fun of them, right? Yeah. So I was kind of relieved when that <laughs> didn't come to pass, you know, because I don't know what the fuck Fortnite is. And then so with Freaky, I don't worry about it too much and I, I try to do that when i submit things because i realize and i know i submitted something that it was and i'll keep it vague because i don't want to spoil it if you're actually going to use it or whatever you know it was for a commercial that actually has gotten a lot of airplay but since you don't watch tv right you don't have any you know, and, I, and i wasn't trying to be trendy or up to date i was just being annoyed by a commercial you know and I didn't care if anybody else had seen it, um, which I think is kind of how Mad used to to roll back in the day, uh-huh, you know. Which uh-huh. is why Kurtzman's stuff and Feldstein stuff is so revered because they didn't really care what the new popular trend was. I mean, they did, but not in the level it was later on. I had this conversation in the flipping. You know, it's like they need to go back to doing parodies of movies and TV shows that people actually go see, not just the next Marvel superhero movie. I mean, people do go see those, but, I mean, the parodies, after a while, are as redundant as the movies themselves. I mean, in the old days, well, I was saying... What would you suggest, though? What well, I mean, in the old days when we were kids, they did parodies of Death Wish and Midnight Cowboy and things like that. Nowadays, they've never done a parody of, like, Hidden Figures. They didn't do a parody of Green Book. They didn't do a parody... You know, they're not... The super, they didn't do a parody of uh, the English with Irishman by Scorsese. They didn't do a parody, you know, they didn't do a parody of anything. It's like they they just target whatever the new hip kids trend is rather than doing a parody of something that they would like themselves, you know. Well, yeah, I think now, right? I've um, well, it's up to. Tom Richmond and and who's who's his co-writer? Oh, it's usually Desmond Devlin. Yeah, yeah, but yeah it's up to those guys. Right? Yeah. And, <laughs> and and I was saying also in the flipping show is like I'm repeating the whole show. Watch that one. Don't listen to this one. No. Uh, but no, uh, that guy's that guy's great though. That guy's yeah, but we, we were talking. We we talked for two hours, which I hope we aren't tonight because I got you going. But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, it doesn't. Would, yeah, you don't always have to talk for two hours. I no, but uh, but anyway, we managed to talk for two hours. But you know, he was saying, "What what would you do if you were running Mad?" And I said, "You know, I think the biggest thing that Mad's mistake is right now." is they don't have a new TV or movie parody because people still watch TV and movies. I can see getting rid of all the other filler stuff and just repeating 70 years of reprints because uh, some trends change, some things change, but a lot of stuff doesn't. Stop stop doing, like, the mash, like, 
sitcom spoof. Yeah, so I mean, you know, it, you know, it's embarrassing yeah. when you read the new issue and they're doing it's, uh, you know, they have like Godzilla on the cover. You go, oh, great, a parody of the brand new Godzilla film. No, it's a parody of a Godzilla film that came out in the nineties. Yeah. Or they'll do yeah, a par- it'll be a Halloween it's... issue, which is the newest issue, and they'll say, oh, great, there must be a parody of the new Halloween or new horror movie or new something. No, it's a parody of The Exorcist that appeared in 1973. You know, it's like, you know, whatever. You know, it's like, well, you know, it's, that's it's, the problem. Money, I think that really ages it more than anything else. I think, you know, yeah. like if you do a parody of like the Mad Hate Book, where don't you hate when this happens? A lot of that stuff still happens, so you can reprint that. Um, or kids, if kids design their own Christmas toys. That's I love that feature. Yeah, think, you know what I'm talking about. But it's yeah, timeless. It came out in back the, in the mid '60s with Jackie, second, yeah. and, and you know, and you know, it's been reprinted a zillion times. I think it's in that same Mad Christmas stocking, and or if it isn't, it was in the older version of it. But still, you know, they've reprinted it, but it's still funny. It's still right. timeless. Right. Um, that stuff they can reprint, but the stuff that's like, you know, a parody of uh, the latest you know i'll keep using gracie versus frankie you know a parody of that well in two years the show's off the air now it's really dated you know you can you can rerun a parody of like i love lucy which they strangely didn't do back in the 50s they did a parody of i love lucy like in the 90s you know oh, really? <laughs> yeah okay um there's a time in the 90s where they're doing parodies of gilligan's island and i love lucy and things like that that they missed back in the day probably because feldstein and uh Kurtzman probably thought it was too lowbrow or something. I don't know, you know, so. Yeah, I've toyed with the idea of maybe doing one of a movie that no one would see, but that I like, like Eraserhead or something like that. That would be cool, I think, you know. <laughs> I think, I, I actually thought this, and I'm going to just put this, I was going to email you this, but I'll just blurt it out. So you got the Monster Mash uh Serial that came out recently that was kind of a culmination of Frankenberry and yeah, and I loved um, the video that they made yeah. for that too. And I was thinking, you know, one thing that I like that uh, they used to put like in Dynamite magazine and stuff like that, and um, is when they do, or even the wacky packages, things like that, is when they did false packages, but they actually set it up where you can clip it out and fold it and make an actual little box. So they did like. Oh. Fr- they did frosted flakes once, but they called it frosted fakes. And in dynamite, uh, it that was in dynamite. It was the back cover, and it was like because their back covers were stiff or cardboard, you could cut it out. Of course, you're ruining the magazine, but I did back in those days and <laughs> pulled it up in you know, a little box. It was the same size as a real one of those miniature cereal boxes that you get in the oh right, like the little one, yeah. yeah. So I was thinking, you know, it's like you could do like parodies of those monster cereals or something and do like monsters, oh, yeah. monster smash, but actually make a physical box. Mm. Uh, but you'd probably be better if you had it on a, a thicker paper right, so. or if you'd have to tell everyone, cut, put this page out and paste it on cardboard, which I've seen them say before, <laughs> you know, but. Yeah, I used to love stuff like that. A yeah. little like that in issue 10 where Dalton's portrait of Freddie Freaknik is going to be like a cutout and save. So how, how far ahead do you work? If you're saying 10 and 7 isn't even up I'm yet. sort of thinking all the way up to 10. Okay. Um, 
but really I'm only terribly serious about the next issue. Sometimes things won't fit in the next issue, so I'll start stuff for the issue after, or maybe there'll be like a little sec themed section, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, um, I sort of chip away at it during the whole six month period, yeah. you know? So um, Freaky 7 will be out April Fools. Ooh. And it will have uh, your cover idea on the front and back. Yay. And um, there's going to be a Fumetti in there. Oh, cool. Similar to the kind you would see in Help yeah. uh, or National Lampoon, but it won't have any tips. <laughs> I just thought of another idea, you know. It's like I'm throwing these ideas out here. But if you want to use them, go ahead. Is Remember in Help, I'm sure you've seen enough issues of Help. They did this thing called Kissies. And they actually had one with Jessica Walter, who was later in Arrested Development and stuff like that. But when she was really a young starlet, they had, uh, you know, here comes young starlet uh, Jessica Walter. And she's like in a nice dress. Um, and she just kind of walks towards the camera. She's kind of far back in the first shot. And then she gets closer. And then you flip the page. And it's just a close-up of her face with her eyes closed and a big pucker like, like that. And, you know, it's a kissy, a help kissy. And they did it a few times. They didn't do it. Um, but it would be funny for the sake of freaky is you can have the same setup with a photo thing. Like, some, oh, you're going to be kissing some sexy girl. And then on the next page, it'd be like some grotesque monster all puckering up. Like, <laughs> you know? like your guy behind you or something like that. Or <laughs> yeah, I get the concept. I'm being very careful with the sexy girl imagery. I just feel like we've seen enough sexy girls. Right. But I mean, you know, the, the only reason to do it for that would be for the set. I get that. It's yeah, not I, for I the punchline. So, yeah, you're yeah. you're going against the punchline of, you know, right, the expected right. punchline, you know. So I got you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and I think that way, that's why, you know, with like what we were talking about earlier with the uh, people hanging on the wall, the dungeon and everything, is different twists on the age-old thing. Like, if I could come up with 10 uh, men sitting on an island with a palm tree gags, you know, with a different twist than what you've seen before. I'm not doing that, but I mean, that's an Why example. Why are you not? Wait, I, you, you want, say that, I'm like, oh, Mark. You want, you want me to do that? that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mark, I'll come up with No, let's, let's talk more about this. Yeah, but I mean, um, that's what I'm thinking of. When I look in old magazines or even see the mad reprints, I think, what could be a twist on this? You're like, you know, everybody knows Spy versus Spy, but I mean, what about Hawks and Doves? Doing a, a, an update on that in a different way, you know, I don't know. Like, you know, I, th I'm not saying do this, but you know, right, right wing versus left wing, you know, something like that, you know? Yeah, no, I hear you. So, yeah. Some of these old motifs may still have some energy left to them. Like I think yeah. the hanging prisoner thing, I'm not sure that that has to fade away. No. Maybe Freaky needs to just keep flying the flag of the torture joke. I'm not yeah. sure. That... And I, I like it that you resurrected the hangups in the other way, you know, where you hold the holdups. I mean, where you actually hold up and, you know, it's a picture, you know, and I've said that before and you didn't realize that you're oh, yeah. borrowing right. An but idea, but I think it's a great idea. A little more complicated what they were doing. Um, yeah. I'm, I have to keep it a little simpler. But yeah, yeah I was just seeing, thinking yeah. of it as a variation on the folded, yeah. and then of course we've got the flipper, um, yeah. which is a variation on the folded. And part of that for me, like I, I really enjoyed those activity books as a kid. You yeah. get these yeah. like these thick newsprint, like pulpy books, yeah. and be like things to color, but also stuff to cut out. 
Yeah, well, that's why I'm, oh, I'm, I mentioned Dynamite Magazine. You know, I used to yeah, tear those. Was great. I, I, tear the, I tore those things up because I wasn't thinking about collector's value. I said, hey, I want to construct this box. Oh, I want these goggles that have these goofy eyeballs in them. You know, it's like, you know, yeah. it, it, they had all these cutout things. And they had posters and all sorts of things to tear out. Or, or take this page out and fold it up, and then you get, like, another thing when you fold it up. Or, yeah, it's just um, fun, you know. Yeah. And I think, like, that's something that we don't see much these days, no. which is it excites me to put in free. Yeah, and I, I look at kids' magazines nowadays occasionally just to see what's going on. And they still make highlights, believe it or not, and things like that. But, I mean, yeah. they're not even as exciting as they were when we were kids, I don't think. You know, it's like they get a little too hey, aren't we trying to be hip, you know, and they're not, you know, more it, than... Yeah, it reads that way to me to some extent. You know, the one humor mag you didn't mention when talking about humor mags is Viz. Yeah. I mean, well, this counts. Like, it is, like you mentioned, it's very, it's got a formula, but yeah. they have articles that are just sort of satire. Are they still doing it? Oh, yeah. Oh. You just They don't distribute it here anymore. No, that's you, probably why. You have to get it through newsstand... Uh, newsstand dot uk okay. or whatever. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, I we It feels like we're getting towards the end of our show here. So yeah. um, let me think about what the future holds. So, I'll have freaky number seven out in uh, April, okay. and then I plan to continue with it as long as I can. Just the issues may get a little, you know, further in between for a while. But yeah, Mark, just send any ideas you've got, and anyone out there can send me stuff. And um, you never know what'll will <laughs> stick. Don't put too much work into anything. Do you know what I mean? Like I don't like that. Well, yeah, I mean, the, like, the, you know, I'm not crafting some. Well, I'm not good that way anyway. I come up with good, the best ideas good. where they just. I'll tell up. you if some if I'm excited about an idea and I want more. You yeah. know what I mean? Like so, well, so. you said one during the show, and I go hmm, okay, but I'm not going to sit there and ponder it. I'm just going to say if it comes, if it to, comes me, to me, it'll come yeah, to me. I mean, I already had the idea prior to the show that yeah. I said, oh, I could do something with that, but I haven't figured it out. But, you know, in a way, I'm just kind of throwing it out there. And then you kind of said, mm, you know, so now I yeah, got Yeah, okay. and on that one, I'd be interested yeah. even with going old school, if you can come yeah. up with some gags, because those yeah. are easy to draw, right? There's only yeah. a few elements, yeah. you know. Uh, but we can talk more about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, any yeah, more concerts? Then, are you really done? Usually, you know, I don't have anything booked, but I am going to do, I have a YouTube channel. You know, you just look up The Slow Poisoner. I think theslowpoisoner.com gets you to all my web stuff. I, my Mercury really fell into retrograde and all my emails and websites got a little screwed up, but I will sort it out again eventually. I go through these analog phases where I just can't really get into computers too terribly much. You know what I mean? But I will be doing, um, the Slow Poisoner TV show, which will feature a little music and some weird Ernie Kovacs style surreal, like kind of when should we, kind of when should we expect that? Uh, probably around the same time, probably about the middle of the year, okay. I think. Um, and then any more recordings? I know you gave me some few. I will, yeah. Since I've now accumulated enough to put out an album, I'll probably put, put out an album so it'll be on all the streaming mm-hmm. services. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be called Crap Mountain because it's a mountain <laughs> of crap. You know, just crap I've accumulated over yeah. the last mm-hmm. few years. Uh, <laughs> but there's enough now for a record. That's an amusement park we need, crap, man. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. 
Yeah, and how about you, Mark? What do you got on the docket? Uh, what do I got? Well, I'm working on the Mad Book. It's taken a lot longer, but I knew it would because, and I mentioned this. I didn't on, read this. That's I mentioned this on Flippin' too. I said this is the first time I'm covering like a 70 plus year period. Most of my books cover maybe a 10 year period to up to maybe a 40 year period. We're talking about 70 years, and not like a consistent staff for the, all 70 years. Maybe a consistent staff for maybe 30 years, but. Well, yeah. we did this with the Cracked book. I, yeah. I've read all of it. Cracked was only 45 years, though, so it's like we're doubling right. the length here. So it takes a long time. I also have other things I'm working on. When I worked on Cracked, that was the only book I was working on at the time. So I'm working on a Turtles book. I'm working on other ideas I don't want to disclose right now. And there's books that I've already turned in that aren't even out yet. I did a Pac-Man book. I did a total television scrapbook, which is supposed to be out now. Um, well, this is exciting. You're yeah, really, so I have all these really things going, and then I do this up, podcast now, and I work like you say, like you do, and you know, it's like, eh. so That's I am a workaholic. Work. I don't think I am because I always find time to watch, like I've watched the Beatles get back twice, which most people haven't even sought through at once because it's eight hours. So somehow over the Thanksgiving holiday, I managed to uh, watch 16 hours of television, <laughs> but hey. Oh, this is my time off. I didn't do any podcasts that week either. So, I don't know. Right on. And I'm still writing articles for Back Issue. I finished an article about Popeye. And, oh. And what, I'm doing what aspect of Popeye? Or Popeye in the Bronze Age, which means roughly comic books and other things that were published from, like, roughly 69 to, like, 80, no, 95, like, roughly around that area. So we're talking about the Charlton area, the Gold Key, Whitman area, and then some from this publisher called Ocean Comics, and even Harvey published some Popeye during the 90s. And I got some interviews and stuff like that. And then I talk about some of the latter-day uh, Hanna-Barbera Popeye cartoons <laughs> and mentioned the Robin Williams Popeye movie and uh, what else? There was a recent Popeye reboot. There was, a, I think, a web animated series. Yeah, I'm not going that current. I'm going probably into mid-90s because Back Issue Magazine Popeye usually... Even still exists, though. What a strange character. Yeah, actually, it still exists. There's this artist named High Iceman. He's in his 90s. He's ghosted on various strips over the years. Now he pop, draws Popeye. They only do a Sunday strip. The dailies are reprints from years past, but the Sunday ones, if you see it, you have to go to, like, gocomics.com because I don't know what paper he even publishes by nowadays, but, and they're not too bad, you know, for a guy like 94 years old, it's you know. It's kind of, though, it's a little bit like Plastic Man. You got to go back to the original, the E.C. Seeger, you yeah. know. Well, I mean, yeah, but I mean, it's like, if you're going to read the comic books, it's not going to have Seeger stuff. It's going to be Sagendorf. Sagendorf, or, and those are or great. Or George and Wildman, every, which is the one. Characters are just so strong. Like, the Sea yeah. Hag, I think, is the greatest. Yeah. But, yeah, I have all the original mm-hmm. stuff in these big volumes and stuff like that. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Popeye is a character I've always loved. So even bad Popeye, I sometimes love. I roll my eyes when I say it. <laughs> but <laughs> no, but no, that's, no, that's the stuff I'm working on. Uh, you know, yeah, I'm that way with Plastic Man. Like, I'll even watch like this this '80s cartoon. Oh, yeah. you know? <laughs> I, I'll draw the line at the weird like '90s comic versions that have him like done in a collage style or whatever. But I did like the Kyle Baker one. 
That's what I'm want, talking about. Yeah, I, I did actually like that one. Um, but it's uh, interesting, I guess. And then after that, he became just kind of a regular. Yeah, you know, the one I've had trouble with in later versions is well, they call him Shazam, but Captain Marvel in later incarnations. Yeah, Captain Marvel was yeah. so weird. You know, when he was, you know, when they did the original Captain Marvel and then the early 70s Shazam, it was like, yeah, that's good stuff. And then it kind of morphed into it's just Superman with a red suit to me. And it's like, yeah. hey. All right, I'll let you go. It was great talking to you again. We'll yeah, Mark, some, good talking to you. We'll get some more things going and probably see you in the coming year. Right on. And I uh, thank you for being a guest again on the Fun Ideas Podcast. Well, my pleasure. You take it easy now. You too. Have a good day. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Andrew Goldfarb, for being my special guest. Remember, you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode number 144 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Danny Salazi of the characters and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2021 Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night.